Namaskaram. Um, today I will talk about verses 11 to 15 of Upadesha uh, Saram. Um, these are the verses in which Bhagavan uh, deals with the subject of yoga. That is, um, in the first two verses, he, um, he pointed out that karma cannot give liberation. From verses 3 to 9, he is talking about the path of, of bhakti, the bhakti marga, the path of bhakti, the path of devotion, path of love, um, which, is, which is what leads to the path of jnana, um, as he explains in those verses. Uh, the path of bhakti begins with doing actions, doing actions not for any gaining any material, uh, not for gaining any uh, personal benefit, not for for the sake of any fruit, but just for the love of God. Action which is done for the love of God, that is what is called nishkarmiya karma, and that is the preliminary stages of the path of uh, devotion, and. Since there are three instruments of action, namely body, speech, and mind, there are three types of action that we can do um, to express our love for God. That is uh, puja, japa, and dhyana. So he, he briefly uh, talks about each of these, pointing out that that is the benefit of doing such actions for the love of God. As he says in verse three, it would purify the mind and show the way to liberation. So he then says that there are three types of action we can do, uh, puja, japa, and dhyana. And in this order, each one is more, uh, more efficacious in uh, purifying the mind than the previous one. That is the implication. And so he goes through each one, uh, one verse on each. And then he, in verse seven, he talks about meditation. Then the important change is what he points out in verse eight, which is rather than meditating on God as something other than ourselves, it is more effective to meditate on, uh, on God as, as not other than ourselves. That is, we need to understand that God is that, he is that which is shining in our heart as I. With that understanding, we should meditate on nothing other than ourselves. In other words, we should meditate only on I. Bhagavan says that is anatinim utamam. That is the best among all, because that is the most effective means to purify the mind. Med what he describes in, um, in Tamil as ananya bhava, and I think in the Sanskrit version it, it is... Um, if I remember correctly, it is um, uh, um, bhavana apita. Uh, that means meditation without any distinction or separation or difference. Um, th that is self-attentiveness, in other words, the path of self-investigation. So that is best of, of all. Whereas all the previous uh, verses, he was talking about actions, actions of the body, namely puja, actions of uh, speech, namely japa, actions of a mind, namely dhyana. In verse 8, he talks about attending to ourself. Attending to ourself is not an action, because attending to anything other than ourself is an action, because it's a movement of our attention away from ourself towards something else. Whereas attending to ourself 
is not an action. It is just a resting of the mind in its source. That is, when we turn our attention back towards ourselves, ego thereby subsides and we rest in our source. So in verse 9, he then uh, points out, but by the strength of that Baba, uh, that Ananya Baba, or Bhavana Pitta, um, we, we must, we, we remain in the state of Sat Baba, that is, in, in, uh, in the state of being, which transcends all mental activity. And that is, the, in Tamil, he says, Parabhakti Tattva. That is the, the, um, the, uh, uh, the supreme devotion. Um, in, in Sanskrit, he says, Bhakti Uttama. It is the, it is the ultimate. It is uh, the, the ultimate devotion. So the best devotion is not to do any action, but to attend to ourselves so keenly that we just remain as we actually are. And then verse 10, he summarized it all by saying, uh, um, well, in Tamil, he says, being subsiding in the place from which one rose. In Sanskrit, he says, um, mana, uh, swastata, that is, the mind standing as itself in the heart ground. That is, Bhakti yoga, um, uh, that is that is karma, bhakti yoga, and jnana. Um, so that's the sort of summary of the whole thing. Then from verses eleven to fifteen, he talks about the path of yoga. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And then from fifteen onwards, he talks about his own core teachings, namely the path of jnana, which, as we can understand from the earlier verses, particularly from verse eight, that is the ultimate form of bhakti. That is, it is good to do bhakti to express our love for God by actions. But the best way to express our love for God is to turn our attention back within, because God is always shining in our heart as I. So meditating on I alone, that is the best of all bhakti. And that is not a doing, but just a being. Um, so he's already touched upon that. So that so the, the, the pinnacle of the path of bhakti is this path of Atmanvichara that Bhagavan has taught us. Um, because this is the path of complete surrender. Only by attending to ourselves can we surrender ourselves. So that is what he deals with from verse 16 onwards. But now we're going to deal with these uh, five verses on yoga. Because why Bhagavan covered all these subjects is, is he pointing out the relative efficacy of all these things. Some people take it, oh, Bhagavan recommended puja, Bhagavan recommended dhyana, Bhagavan recommended pranayama. It's not that he's recommending these things. He's he's acknowledges that these can be of some use, but he 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 is he's clarifying of what value these are and how eventually they are useful to the extent to which they lead us to the path of of, of uh, self-investigation. In verse 8, he shows how the practices of bhakti eventually lead to meditating on God as not other than oneself. In other words, meditating on God as I, that is self-investigation. In these verses, he shows how yoga must also lead to self-investigation. So um, with that in mind, I, I will now proceed. In what Bhagavan says in verse um, in verse um, 11 is Vairodhanat uh, Liyatemana Jala Pakshivat. That means 
Vayurodhanat, by restraining the breath, liyate mana, the mind subsides, jale pakshivat, like a bird in a net. So, uh, and then he, he ends by saying, roda sadhanam, um, uh, a means of restraining. That is, this is a means to restrain the mind. Um, he's, what he says in Tamil is very similar. Vali um, ul adaka, when one restrains the breath within, vale uh, padu uh, pul pol, like a bird caught in a net, ulamum uh, odungum, the mind also will be restrained. Odaka upayam idu, this is a means to restrain the mind. So the Tamil verse and the Sanskrit verse are almost exactly the same in meaning in this case. Um, so Bhagavan points out, what is the use of pranayama? It's a means to restrain the mind. Um, why is it a means to restrain the mind? How is it a means to restrain the mind? He explains in verse 12. What he says in the, um, in the Tamil version, I'll give, uh, give the Tamil version first. Ulumum virum unavum salum ullavam kile irendu. That means mind and breath are two branches which have knowing and doing. Uh, that implies have, they have knowing and doing as their respective functions. That is, uh, knowing is the function of mind, uh, doing is the function of breath. Here, the word he uses for breath is weir. Weir means, literally means life. So it includes not only the breath, but all other physiological functions. Um, uh, um, and then he, he ends by saying, Andru Avatrin Mulam. That is, their root is one. Um, that the root here, mulam here actually is used more in the sense of source. The source, for, it implies the source from which these two arise is one. And he says much the same in the Sanskrit version. In the Sanskrit version, he says, uh, chitta vayava. Uh, chitta is, means mind. Um, uh, vayava is a plural form of vayu. So it means the, the vayus or the pranas, the, the, the breaths. It means all, it means the breathing and other physiological functions. That is different. Uh, they, they, they enumerate five different types of, of prana and also there are upapranas. So these are, these are just basically ways of describing all the different physiological functions. But of course, the, the physiological function that we are all most clearly aware of is breathing. That's something um, we can't control the digestion, for example. We can't control the elimination of other things, but the breathing we can control. So breathing is the principal prana, but it's used to, uh, to restrain, uh, to, to, to bring about that restraint of the mind. So mind and pranas, uh, chitta vayava, chit kriya yuta, uh, uh, they are a pair of branches uh, but are um, but are joined with or endowed with uh, knowing and doing that is knowing is the function of mind doing is the function of uh, of uh, the pranas um, and then he ends by saying shakti mulaka that literally means rooted in power. What that implies is they, they, they both 
are rooted in or spring from one power. In, in Tamil, he's, he, he's, he specifies uh, their, their root, their, their source is one. Uh, he, the word one is not here in Sanskrit, but it's implied. But here in Sanskrit, whereas Bhagavan in Tamil, he says just the root is, the source is one. Here he says the source is Shakti. What is that Shakti he's talking about? That Shakti is Chit Shakti, the power of pure awareness, which is our real nature. Um, here, to, to, to understand these two verses in more context, it's, uh, that is, in, 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 to understand them in more detail, it's useful to refer to some sentences in the eighth paragraph of, uh, of Nana. Um, these are some sentences from the middle of the paragraph. Later on, I'll talk about other sentences in this paragraph, but these are just the, the sentences that are relevant to these, in which Bhagavan is clarifying what he says in these first two verses, there's verses 11 and 12 of Upadeshasara. Um, in, in the eighth paragraph of Nana, he says, Manatikum pranalakum pirupidum andre. That means the birthplace both for the mind and for prana is one. This is what he's saying in this verse 12. Um, in, as I say, in, in the Tamil version of verse 12, he simply says, the source is one. Uh, their source is one. In uh, Sanskrit, he says, they, 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 they spring from or they, they, they originate from a power, implying one power. That one power is what in, in, in Nana he describes as um, uh, uh, piripidum. Piripidum literally means birthplace. It means the source. So what is the source from which both the mind and the prana arise? It is Atmasarupa, our own real nature. That is, in, in sleep, as Bhagavan says, there's neither, there's neither, neither, uh, mind, nor prana, nor body, nor world, nor anything. What exists and shines in sleep is only the fundamental awareness I am. So it can only be from this awareness I am that these spring. As soon as we wake up, the, the mind rises, grasps the body as itself, and that body is obviously not a dead body, it's a living body, so the prana is functioning in it. So mind and prana always go together. Um, um, so, so they both originate from the one source, the, namely Atmasarupa, our own real nature, which is the pure awareness I am. What we are always aware of as I am, that is the source from which we have risen as mind and from which everything else has also arisen. Um, then in the next sentence, he says, Nineve manatin sarupam. Thought alone is the sarupa of the mind. Sarupa here means the actual nature. What the mind actually is, it's just thought. Um, and then he goes on to say, Nananam Nineve Manatin Mudal Ninebu. The thought called I alone is the first thought of the mind. Aduve uh, Ahankaram, that alone is ego. So the uh, what, what he's saying here is that the first thought of, of, that arises in the mind is uh, the thought called I, which is ego. Um, so, and then he goes on to say, ahankaram 
engirundu upatio, angirundu tan, muchum kelambu keridu. That means from where ego arises, from there alone, the breath also rises up or sprouts up. Uh, so he's again emphasizing that they both arise from a common source. And that common source cannot be anything other than ourselves. It cannot be anything other than the fundamental awareness I am, which alone is what exists in the absence of ego and, uh, and uh, the breath. And then he says, Ahayal, therefore, uh, manam uh, adangum podum prananam, pranam adangum podum, adangum podu manamum adangum. That means when the mind ceases, the prana also ceases. And when the prana ceases, the mind also ceases. So if you curb the mind, if you stop the mind going outwards, if you hold your attention on, 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 uh, on, on yourself, if we are self-attentive, that restrains the breath. And likewise, if you restrain the breath, that restrains the mind. Um, However, if we, if we merely restrain the breath and thereby restrain the mind, that is, it, the whole, restraining the breath doesn't make the mind self-attentive, whereas being self-attentive will restrain the mind and the breath. So uh, that's why Bhagavan's central teaching is the practice of self-attentiveness. Uh, pranayama is not his main teaching. He's just explaining how the prana... Um, how, how, how by controlling the prana, we, it, can, it can help to bring about a, a, a subjugation or curbing of the mind. But then what do we have to do once the mind is curbed? We have to turn it within. That is what Bhagavan goes on to explain. So uh, the next sentence in, um, in, uh, in Nana is, Pranan manatin stula rupamenapadam. The prana is called or said to be the gross form of the mind. Um, that, that, that is, whenever we rise as ego, we project all the five sheaths and grasp them as ourselves. As Bhagavan says in verse 5 of, uh, well, Bhagavan often said, the ego is the false awareness, I am this body. And he clarified that what he means there by body is not just the physical form of the body. In uh, verse 5 of Uludunapadu, Bhagavan says, Udul Pancha Koza Udu, the body is a form composed of five sheaths. Because whenever we're aware of ourselves as I am this body, we're never aware of ourselves as a dead body. The body we're aware of as I is always a living body. So the uh, uh, it's not only the physical form of the body, the physical body, also the prana is there. And we never experience a sleeping body as ourself. It's always a body that's awake. So when we're awake, mind, intellect, and will are all functioning. So these five, the physical body, the prana or, of life, uh, the breath, and um, or the, the mind, which means in this context, it means the gross functions of the mind, the intellect, and the will. These five, these are called the panchakosha, these collectively make up the body, but we always experience as I whenever we rise as ego. So as soon as we rise as ego, we project a body and experience ourselves as I. So the, um, the gross form of, that is the, 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 these five sheaths, the, the ego is distinct from these five sheaths, 
But the five sheaths are a gross form of ego. That is, ego cannot rise without projecting and grasping these as, as, as itself. So Bhagavan says the prana is the gross form of the mind. Uh, here we can take mind to mean in the sense of ego. So all the five sheaths are, are gro a gross form of uh, the mind. Um, so, uh, but it, it, why he mentions here the prana is the gross form of the mind because it is the, it is he's talking this in the context he's talking about what is the relative efficacy of pranayama. So the, the, these sentences clarify what he says in these first two verses, namely that mind and that but, uh, but um, by restraining the breath, the mind is uh, subsides like a bird uh, caught in a net. This is a means of restraining the mind. Then he explains why, because mind and breath are two branches which have knowing and doing as their respective functions. And their root is one, the one power, that chit shakti. Chit shakti means the power of awareness. What is that power of awareness? It's that fundamental awareness I am, the awareness of our own existence, satchit. Uh, so chit shakti is another way of describing satchit. That is, uh, satchit is a is the, the original source of all power. Everything arises from that. So all power is derived from that original power, the power of satchit. Or ch that is what the power that is called chit shakti. But then it, um, what Bhagavan goes on to say, this is the next verse is extremely important. Um, he says, uh, in the Tamil version, he says, Ileomum nasamum irendu Irendu arm odicum. That means dissolution is two, Leia and Nasa. That implies dissolution of the mind is of two kinds. Uh, dissolution here, where he used the word odicum, odicum can mean subsidence, or, but in this context, it means complete subsidence or cessation of uh, ego or mind. So that's of two kinds, Leia. And nasa. Leia means temporary dissolution. Nasa means destruction, in other words, permanent dissolution. And then he says, Ileatu um, Uladu Erum. What is lying down or what is in Leia will rise. Eradu Uru Mind If its form dies, it will not rise. Likewise, he says in the Sanskrit, very, very similar. Leia uh, vinasane ubeya rodane. That means Leia uh, and vinasa uh, destruction. Uh, so the temporary dissolution and destruction are both stopping. Are both rodana. Rodana means stopping or um, or um, uh, states in which mind has been stopped or prevented from rising is the implication. And then he says. Leia gatam puna babati. What has gone in Leia will uh, arises again. No mratam. Not what has died. That means that if if we if we if the mind uh, is dissolved in Leia, it will rise again. If it dies, that is, if it is in if it dissolves in Nasa it will not rise again. This is very, very important. That is, all types of dissolution of the mind fall into one or other of these two categories. Any dissolution 
but is brought about by any means other than self-investigation is Leia. In order to bring about NASA, uh, uh, we need to investigate ourselves because NASA means destruction of ego or mind. Ego is a false awareness of ourself. It's an awareness of ourself as I am this body. So how can we destroy the false awareness of ourself except by correct awareness of ourself? How to remove avidya? Only by vidya. Avidya means the ignorance of ourself. In other words, knowing ourselves as something other than what we actually are. So the ego is avidya. Ego is the false awareness, I am this body. So in order to remove this false awareness, we must be aware of ourselves as we actually are. And in order to be aware of ourselves as we actually are, we obviously need to investigate ourselves. And only when we are aware of ourselves as we actually are, will ego thereby be annihilated. That is why Bhagavan says but. um but uh, um, that the only means to bring about the, the permanent dissolution of mind is atma vichara. Here we can. Uh, here it's uh, useful to refer back again to this eighth paragraph of Nana because Bhagavan clarifies this very nicely. Um, uh, he, what he says, uh, and now starting from the beginning, the first sentence of the eighth paragraph, he says, "Manam adangu vadaku." Vicharaneye tabira veru tahunta upayangal ille. That means for the mind to cease, except vicharana, that implies vicharana means investigation. Here it obviously implies upma vicharana, uh, self investigation. Except vicharana, there is no other adequate means. So, to, to, why he says that? Because any other means will bring about only a temporary dissolution of mind. It cannot bring about permanent dissolution of mind. That's why he says, for the mind to cease, except vicharana, there is no other adequate means. Manama dangavadaku vicharane tabira vera tahantu that's a very, very important sentence because this is one of the key principles of his teachings. And then he goes on to say, Matra Upayangal Inal Adanginal Manam Adanginal Pol Irundu Marapodium Kalambuvidum. That means if the mind is made to cease by other means, the mind remaining for a while, if, as, if, as if it had ceased, will rise again. This is exactly what he's saying in this verse 13 of, uh, of Upadesha Sara. Leya gatam puna bhavati. What has gone in layer will rise again. So if the mind is made, to, is, may, is, is made to cease or dissolve by any means other than vichara, it will remain for a while as if it had ceased, but it will rise again. Um, so what he says here as Marupadiyam uh, Kalambavidam, it will rise again, is what he says in, in this verse as Punaha Bhavati, will rise again. Um, uh, then he goes on to say, Pranayama Talam Manam Adangam. Even by Pranayama, the mind will cease. Uh, Pranayama means uh, uh, breath restraint. Pra prana means breath. Uh, 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 
ayama means uh, means um, uh, restraining, so breath restraint. So, but even by breath restraint, the mind will cease. How will it cease? That's what he's explained in verses um, 10, 11 and 12 of uh, Upadeshasara. Um, so even by breath restraint, the mind will cease. However, he goes on to say, Anal pranam adangi irkum varayal manam adangi irindu pranam belipadam podu tanam belipadam basane bayatai alayam. That means, however, so long as the prana uh, remains subsided, mind will also remain subsided. And when prana emerges, it will also emerge and wander under the sway of its vasanas. It means here the mind. So when, uh, so long as we restrain the prana, the mind will also re be restrained. And it is possible, yogis who are adept at this, they can restrain their prana for considerably long periods of time. But as soon as the, the hold on the prana is released, the mind will again emerge and wander under the sway of its vasanas. In this connection, there's a very important story that Bhagavan often used to tell. Um, and he told it for a very, uh, yeah, there's a very, very important teaching contained in this story. So I will br just briefly outline the story. That is, as Bhagavan used to, to say it, there was a yogi who lived on the banks of the Ganga, and he was very adept in, uh, in the practices of yoga. So he was able to go into Nivikalpa Samadhi, Kevala Nivikalpa Samadhi, for prolonged periods of time. Because um, the, the nearby villagers often saw him sitting for hours or sometimes even days, not moving, sitting like a, like a, like a stone. Um, they uh, imagined this is a very great Mahatma. So they were, were, were providing for all his uh, material needs. And one of, one of them became a disciple of his and also wanted to learn how to, how to become a great yogi like that. So one day after a prolonged period in, um, in Nivikalpa Samadhi, the yogi woke up and he was feeling thirsty. So he asked his disciple to go and fetch water. His hut was just, uh, just a short distance from the bank of the Ganga. So it was very easy for his disciple to go and fetch water. So the disciple quickly went to fetch water. But by the time he came back, the yogi had again gone into uh, Nivakalpa Samadhi. Um, and that time he went, he was so, he restrained the breath so uh, effectively, but he remained in that state for 300 years. Because the breath is restrained, all the other physiological functions are restrained. So the life is on sort of on, how do you call it? On um, like, uh, not quite autopilot, but it, I mean, but life is all, all, almost on hold. That is the uh, yogis who are very adept at, uh, at these uh, yoga practices, they can restrain their breath to such an extent that there may be one breath maybe every two minutes or so. And likewise, because the breath slows down, all the other physiological functions slow down. They, the heart rate will slow down and everything. So because they're in a state of, uh, it's like in a state of suspended animation, the body is still alive, but the 
vital functions, physiological processes, they're going on, but at a very, very slow rate. So the body is able to remain in that state for a prolonged period of time. So that yogi was able to remain in that state for 300 years. After 300 years, he woke up. And the first thing he did was he angrily asked, where's my water? And Bhagavan uh, then when Bhagavan tells stories, he often, sometimes he tells just the basic details, sometimes he elaborates it a little. So he said, within those 300 years, the Ganga had changed course. So now the Ganga was several miles away. And because the Ganga had changed course, the village had also moved. Because they, they, maybe those people living in that village, they were fishermen or boatmen or something. So where the river moves, they move. So the village had also moved. And where the yogi was, a jungle had grown up there. So he was in midst of a jungle. Nobody even knew he was there. And of course, the disciple had passed away many years ago. All the villagers who knew him had passed away many years ago. Everyone had forgotten him. But when he woke up from his Nivikalpa Samadhi, the last thought that was in his mind before he went into Nibhikalpa Samadhi, namely, he was feeling thirsty, he wanted water. That last thought was the first thought that popped up, popped up as soon as he woke up. What Bhagavan said that illustrates is, but even the most superficial thought in the mind is not destroyed no matter how many hundreds of years you remain in Nivikalpa Samadhi. So when even the most superficial thought is not uh, destroyed, what about all the vasanas? That is why Bhagavan says here, but when the prana comes out, when the, the, the mind will, when the prana emerges, when prana becomes active again, the mind will also emerge and wander under the sway of its vasanas. Uh, manamum, Velipadum uh, podum vasane vayatai alayam. So the implication is, but no matter how long we remain in Nibhikalpa Samadhi, not even the most superficial thought is destroyed. So the vasanas all remain intact. We can't destroy vasanas in layer. In layer, Leia is a state of dissolution of mind. So ego is dissolved, and all its vasanas are obviously dissolved along with it. So uh, we, 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 how can we destroy the vasanas, or how can we weaken the vasanas? Vasanas are inclinations. The vasanas Bhagavan is referring to here are vishaya vasanas, our inclination to attend to anything other than ourselves, our inclination to seek happiness in things other than ourselves. These are vishaya vasanas. Vishaya vasanas are obviously active only in waking and dream. So it is only in waking and dream that we can, we, uh, we can weaken them. The normal condition of the mind is to wander under the sway of its vasanas. That is, whenever our attention, wherever our attention is going, it's going under the sway of our vasanas. So wherever we think happiness lies, there uh, our vasanas will lead us and the mind will go in that direction. So how to, how to, how to weaken and eventually eradicate the vasanas? As I say, vasanas are the mind's inclinations. Vasanas have no strength of their own. Whatever strength the vasanas seem to have, they have 
it is the it is the strength that they derive from us from from uh, from ego that is to the extent to which we allow ourselves to be swayed by any vasana that vasana is strengthened if we don't allow ourselves to be swayed by a vasana that vasana is weakened supposing we've got some some habit but we um some something that we want to overcome supposing we've got a strong liking for to eat lots of laddu or some sweets we know eating too much sweets is not good for us it's not good for our teeth it's not good for our health and it can lead to diabetes and so many problems so but we still have a strong inclination to eat sweets but at the same time we want to be healthy we don't want to become sick so we've also got an inclination to eat healthily so we've got two inclinations in our mind one is an inclination to eat more and more sweet whenever sweet is well oh let me have one more one more one more we also have a, an inclination to restrain that inclination to um to uh eat sweet if we are weak willed that means if we've got a if our liking to uh, eat sweets is stronger than our liking to be healthy that is what we call being weak willed means when one desire is stronger than another desire we call we we and if a desire that is weaker is a desire to restrain the stronger desire we say oh he's weak willed he's not able to control his mind he's not able to to um to guard his tongue or whatever uh, so if 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 a, if a inclination to eat sweets is stronger than the inclination to to avoid eating sweets we'll keep on indulging and the more we indulge in eating sweets the more we are allowing ourselves to be swayed by that liking to eat sweets and so that vasan becomes stronger and stronger and it becomes more and more difficult for us to restrain it but if instead if we decide one day okay no enough is enough i've been indulging myself too much this is not going to this is maybe the doctor tells me you you've got diabetes or something so suddenly i become afraid oh if i get diabetes if i continue eating sugar it can lead to death i can die prematurely so suddenly i feel fear and so my 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 liking to be to eat healthily gets greatly strengthened because of a warning of the doctor so i decide okay from now on i'm going to whenever that inclination to eat sweets this um rises i'm not going to allow myself to be swayed by that so if we begin to restrain that that to, to restrain the mind stop it being swayed by that liking to eat sweets slowly slowly that that inclination that vasana to eat the sweets will get weakened and the vasana to eat healthily will get strengthened so this is how vasanas work so how can all the shaya vasanas take our attention away from ourselves so how to how to weaken those vishaya vasanas only by holding on to self attentiveness when we hold on to self attentiveness we are not allowing ourselves to be swayed by any inclination to attend to anything else so the the, the means to weaken all vishaya vasanas is to hold on to self attentiveness that's why bhagavan says in a in another paragraph of uh, nana in the 10th and 11th paragraph he talks about the subject in of vasanas in great detail um for example in the 10th paragraph he says um 
even though Vishaya Vasanas, which come from time immemorial, rise in countless numbers like ocean waves, they will all be destroyed when Swarupa Dhyana increases and increases. Swarupa Dhyana means self-attentiveness. So the means to destroy Vasanas, to weaken the Vasanas and eventually eradicate all of them, is to, is to cling firmly to self-attentiveness. And then he goes on to say, without giving room even to the doubting thoughts, putting an end to so many Vasanas, is it possible to, um, is it possible to, re to remain only as Swarupa? Instead of even giving room to that doubting thought, it's necessary to cling tenaciously to self-attentiveness. I mean, he says, however great a sinner one may be, if instead of lamenting and weeping, I am a sinner, how am I going to be saved? If one, is, if one completely rejects the thought that one is a sinner and is steadfast in self-attentiveness, one will certainly be saved. Um, and then he goes on in the next paragraph to say, as long as Vishayabhasanas exist in the mind, so long is the investigation who am I necessary. As and when thoughts appear. That means as and when the vasanas sprout in the form of thought, then and there it is necessary to annihilate all of them by vicharana in the very place from which they arise. So the means to destroy vasanas is self-attentiveness. Um, if we merely try to restrain the mind by pranayama, it will remain restrained so long as the, uh, the prana is restrained. As soon as the prana uh, comes out, emerges, but mind will also emerge and wander under the sway of its vasanas. So, and then, so that those are the preliminary sentences. Then come the sentences that I talked about earlier, in which Bhagavan explains how, how uh, pranayama is a means to restrain the mind. But he concludes that paragraph with a very, very important sentence. Ahayal pranayamam manam manate adaka sahayam 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 ahume andri mano nasam sayadu. That means pranayama is just an aid to restrain the mind or temporary, make it temporary cease, but it will not bring about mano nasa. So uh, when we apply that, when, when we consider this in the light of the verses we're talking about, in this verse 13, Bhagavan talks about two types of. Uh, dissolution of mind, layer and nasa. If it's something, if it subsides in layer, nivikalpa samadhi is just a state of mano layer, as Bhagavan said. So that doesn't help to remove uh, vishaya vasanas. It's, it's just like sleep. We don't eradicate vasanas by remaining in sleep. If I sleep a few more hours today, will I get? To, will my vasanas get weaker more? Obviously not. Even if I sleep for thousand years when I wake up the same vasanas will pop up as that yogi found out uh, um, after 300 years in Nivikalpa Samadhi so what is Laya Gatampuna Bhavati will rise again why will it rise because the vasanas are all there and so long as the vasanas are there it will keep on rising because vasanas are the Fuel that keep ego alive. That is, it's a food on which ego is. Uh, if if we didn't have vasanas, ego would very willingly go within and merge back into its source and be destroyed. So now we come to the most important verse of all, verse fourteen. I will read the Tamil 
read and explain the Tamil verse and then the um and then the um the, the uh, Sanskrit verse. Um what Bhagavan says in the um Tamil verses um uh Odika Valiye Odungum Ulate Vidikave Ovari Vium Adonuru. What that means is uh, only when one sends the mind, which becomes calm when one restrains the breath, on the investigating path will its form perish. The term Bhagavan uses here for investigating path is or vari. Or can be understood, vari means path, margam. Uh, or it can be interpreted in two ways here. Or is a Tamil verb that means in, in, to investigate or to know. So or here um, uh, can mean orum. Orum is, a, is an adjectival participle of the verb or. Um, but obviously often in, um, often in Tamil poetry, in, in place of an adjectival participle, just the root verb is used. So, uh, so orvari means orumvari, the path of uh, the, the investigating path or the path of investigation. That's one meaning. Or uh, in Tamil, the word oru means one. So normally, if you want to say one path, you'd say oruvari. But if you're if before a verb, oru becomes uh, or. Um, but in poetry, you can use a, or before a, a consonant. So or here could also mean one. So all vari can also mean one path. But what is the one path Bhagavan is referring to? As he makes clear, for example, in some of the sentences I've, I've I read from this uh, eighth paragraph of Nana, and also in many other sentences in Nana, um, he, he says, uh, for example, in the first sentence of the eighth paragraph, he says, Manam adangu vidaku vicharaneye tabira for the mind deceased, except Vicharana, there is no other adequate means. So what is the one path Bhagavan is referring to here? It is this path of investigation. Um, so whether we take Orvari to mean the one path or the path of investigation, it amounts to the same thing, because the one path is the path of investigation. So... Um, uh, only when one sends the mind on the one path um, uh, will its form perish. That's the main clause. Um, uh, that is, ullate vidakave orvari. Only when one sends the mind on the one path, vium adonuru, its form will perish. But there's also a, a relative clause here. Uh, to, uh, um, uh, relative clause applying to ulum about the mind. Odaka valiye odungum ulate. The mind which uh, which uh, which here we have to take it as becomes calm when one restrains the breath. Because if we restrain the breath, if we go too far in restraining the breath, it will end up in manolea. In Manolea, obviously, we can't make any effort to direct the mind back within, to direct the mind on the Orvari. So what Bhagavan often used to say to people who 
Bhagavan never of his own accord encouraged people to practice pranayama. He said it's unnecessary. The most effective way to... Pranayama is a means to restrain the mind, but the most effective means to restrain the mind is to be self-attentive. So why do we need to, to, to practice pranayama? It's unnecessary. But for people who had an inclination to practice such things, Bhagavan often used to warn them. You can practice to a certain extent, but don't go in, don't allow the mind to subside in layer, because once the mind has subsided in layer, there's no benefit. That is, even if you go into Nivakalpa Samadhi for 300 years, when you wake up, you're back where you started. You, you haven't achieved, no benefit is achieved by remaining in Manolaya. So what Bhagavan said is, if you use, want to use pranayama to restrain the mind, bring the mind to a state of calmness, but before it subsides in layer, you then have to direct it on the path of investigation. Because if you don't direct it on the path of investigation, you, if you continue trying to restrain the mind without turning it within, it will end up in layer. So the way to avoid layer is by being self-attentive. And only by being self-attentive will its form perish. So likewise, in the Sanskrit version, he says, um, prana bandhanat, that means by uh, restraining the breath, lina manasam, uh, uh, well, pranabandhanat lina means settled down by restraining the breath. That means the mind settled down by restraining the breath. The mind which is settled down by restraining the breath. Uh, manasam is mind. Ekachintanat nasam eti aha. That means the, the mind will, uh, will reach or achieve annihilation by ekachintana. Ekachintana means, uh, eka means one, chintana means thought. So by thought, um, some people take it as one thought, any one thought, but I don't think that's a meaning, well, that is not the meaning intended by Bhagavan here, because you can choose any thought, you can think of, um, you can think of um, anything, you can think of uh, uh, what meal you're going to eat today and fix your mind on that thought. That's not going to bring about destruction of the mind. You can think of anything, but it, it, it's not just bringing the mind to think of any one thought. Eka here means, Eka Chintana means thinking of the one. In other words, what is the one? The one that actually exists. That is in the Upanishads, it is said, Ekam Eva Advaitiam. There is one only without a second. And what is that one only? Tattvamasi, you are that. So the one thing that actually exists is only Atmasarupa. As Bhagavan says in the seventh, um, in the first sentence of the seventh paragraph of Nana, Yatatamai Ulladu Atmasarupa Mondre. What actually exists is only Atmasarupa. So the one thing that actually exists is Atmasarupa. So when he talks about Ekachintana, that means Atmachintana. In other words, self-attentiveness is the implication. That is, we have to interpret it like that because he says the mind will, uh, will achieve annihilation by thinking of, of one. What one thing can we think of that will bring about annihilation of mind? Only ourselves. If we attend to anything other than ourselves, that is just nourishing and sustaining the mind. The mind can be destroyed. 
as he says, uh, the only, there's no adequate means to bring about the dissolution of mind except vicharana. Because uh, other means, whatever other means we bring about the dissolution of mind, the mind will come out again. So that implies the only means to annihilate the mind is self-investigation. Bhagavan has made that clear in so many ways. For example, in the um, just just to take one example among so many, uh, if we take verse 27 of Uludunaktu, um, what Bhagavan says in verse 27 of Uludunaktu, Nanudiyada Ulanile, Namaduvai Ulanile. The state in which we exist without rising as I is the state in which we exist as that. And then he goes on to say, Nan udukum tanum ade nadamal, Nan udia tan irupe savadu eban. That means, without investigating the place where I rises, how to reach the annihilation of oneself in which I does not rise. And without reaching that, how to remain in the state in which one is that. So but here Bhagavan says, but in order to reach the annihilation of what he said, it, this is a rhetorical question, but the implication is clear. But the only means to achieve the annihilation of oneself is by investigating the place where I rises. The place where I rises, the source of, uh, from which I rises, is obviously that is obviously Atmasarupa, the fundamental awareness I am. So that is what we need to investigate. So if we, if we, because when we, when we try to understand any work or any verse of Bhagavan, we need to understand it in the context of his teachings as a whole. We can't just take it out of context. So this verse 14, to understand what he means in Tamil by the term Orvari, the investigating path over one path, and in Sanskrit by the term Ekachintana, we need to understand it in the context of his teachings as a whole. What is the one thought that will bring about the annihilation of the mind? Only Atmachintana. Because only by self-attentiveness will the mind be destroyed. So that is the implication. So as I say, just like in the other, the earlier verses, he showed how the practices of bhakti must eventually lead to um, to self attentiveness. Rather than when the other practices of bhakti, the puja, japa, and dhyana, will purify the mind and enable it to understand, give it the clarity to understand that God is not something anya, something other than ourselves. God is that which is shiny in our heart as I, Soham. He is I. So since he is shiny in our heart as I, what should we meditate on? We shouldn't meditate on him as an object. We should meditate only on I. We shouldn't even meditate on the thought, Soham. I am he. That is not, that's not what Bhagavan means there. Bhagavan isn't saying we should meditate on the thought, Soham, because even the thought, Soham, is something other than ourselves. We need to meditate on what, what does Soham point out? It points out, he is I, Tatvamasi, you are that. So what is the practical implication of that? We need to attend. If I am that, then who sh what should I attend to? I should attend only to I. So attending, the, 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 
The path of bhakti will purify the mind, that all the puja, japa, and dhyana will purify the mind and enable it to understand that God is that which is shining in the heart as I, and thereby turn the attention back within. And by turning the attention back within, we remain in, in sattvava, and that is what brings about the annihilation of mind. So in the same way, he pointed out, pranayama is a means to destroy the mind. Sorry. Pranayama is a means to restrain the mind, but it will not bring about destruction of the mind. So how to bring about destruction of the mind? If you want to practice pranayama, you can use the pranayama to restrain the mind to a certain extent. Once the mind is calm, make use of that calm mind by turning it back within. What this does not mean is Bhagavan isn't saying that we need to practice pranayama in order to turn our attention back within. Bhagavan often said that the most effective way to restrain the mind, to bring about calmness of mind, is to turn the attention back within. We don't, Bhagavan said, if we have love to attend to ourselves, even in the midst of a battlefield, we can hold on to self-attentiveness. If we don't have love to attend to ourselves, even if we're sitting in a cave in the Himalayas, our mind will still be wandering around the world. So what is the key to success in this path, on Bhagavan's path? As Bhagavan said, bhakti is the mother of jnana. Without love, we cannot follow this path of self-investigation because it requires all-consuming love to turn our attention within. Because when we turn our attention within, we are giving up everything else. As Bhagavan says in verse 26 of Uludunapadu, Adalal, Yaduidu Endrunadale, Ovadal Yavamenor. Therefore, investigating what this, meaning ego, is, is giving up everything. So, unless we have all consuming love to know what we actually are, we will not be willing to give up everything. And if we're not willing to give up everything, we'll not be willing to turn our attention within. So the key to success in this path is love. If we have love to turn within, we don't need pranayama. Pranayama is for those who, 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 who want to do something. No, no, I must do something. Who want to, I must control the mind. So pranayama is for those with a strong sense of doership. But once we come to Bhagavan's path, Bhagavan's path is the path of self-investigation and self-surrender. We have to give up all doership. We have just to hold on to I am. And not to do anything, just to be as we are. So but what Bhagavan implies here in this 14th verse is... Even if we bring about calmness of mind by means of pranayama, we should not stop with that. Before we subside in layer, we should redirect the mind inwards to attend to the one that alone actually exists, namely I am, Atmasarupa. And then I think there's just time for me to finish the, the concluding verse of this series. That is, in this verse, he, brings, he talks about how to bring about the annihilation of the mind by ekachintana, by apmachintana. Uh, that is the only way to bring about the annihilation of the mind. And then in the next verse, verse 15, in Tamil he says, mano uru maya me manam ma yogi. That means, uh, uh, for uh, manam ma yogi tanaku, for the great yogi, uh, uh, Sorry, when the form of the mind, the mind is annihilated, for the great yogi 
who remains permanently as reality. Manavuru Maya means um, uh, when the form of the mind is annihilated, um, uh, um, may manam my yogi, the, yo the great yogi who is uh, permanently established or who remains permanently as the reality, uh, for him, there is not a single action. Um, uh, why? Tan il sandanan. He has attained his nature. He's attained his, 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 uh, yeah, il means nature. Tan il means his own nature, the nature of himself or the self nature, real nature, it implies. Um, likewise, in the Sanskrit version, he says, nashta manasa, the mind annihilated, uh, utkrishta yoginaha, uh, 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 by the great, uh, by the exalted yogi, kritayam uh, asti uh, kim, what is there to be done? That is, what is to be, what is to be done? What is that? What is to be done by that great yogi? That when his mind is annihilated, what remains for him to do is the implication. Why? Swastitim uh, yataha. Uh, that means because uh, because of standing as self. That is because that yogi is established as as uh, as himself in his real nature. There's nothing further for him to do. That is the implication. In the Sanskrit version, Bhagavan uh, expresses it as a rhetorical question. What is there to be done by that exalted yogi? Means implies there's nothing to be done. In the Tamil, he, he, instead of putting it as a rhetorical question, he says it explicitly. May manam ma yogi, that yogi who is established, who, is a, who remains as a reality, for him, for him, there is no uh, action at all. So ac action is only for the mind. But when the mind is annihilated, we go beyond action. We remain in, the, in our natural state of just being. So action is, why Bhagavan mentions action here? Because he began in, in um, he, the, the, the Upadesha Undia begins with talking about action because the, 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 the so-called rishis in the Darakavana, they were so attached to karma. They were so strongly attached to karma, particularly to their own ritualistic karmas, their own ritualistic actions. They believe karma te andri They believe that there's no God other than karma. Karma is supreme. That was their conviction. That is the Purva Mimamsaka philosophy. Uh, but uh, so Bhagavan begins by saying karma does not give fruit except by the ordainment of God. That is, when you do any action, the fruit is out of your hand. The action cannot determine its own fruit because action is jada. Who determines the fruit of action and who allots the fruit of action? It is only God. Uh, and because we... Uh, um, even though we experience the fruit of action, still the seeds, the inclination to do the same actions remain. And those seeds are what cast us in the great ocean of action. So, so, karma, so action 
uh, does not give liberation, Bhagavan says. But by doing action without desire for any fruit, just for the love of God, it will purify the mind and show the way to liberation. So because he began from action, he he comes to this concluding point. But once the mind is destroyed, there's no further action to be done. In fact, because there's no doer. Who is the doer of action? It is only ego. When ego is destroyed, action comes to an end. As he says in verse 38 of Uludunapadu, uh, if one is the doer of action, uh, one will have to experience the resulting fruit. Um, if if uh, uh, when one knows oneself by investigating who is the doer of action, doership will cease and all the three karmas will come to an end. Why will doership cease? Doership is the nature of ego. When ego is destroyed, doership is destroyed. So there's no doer and therefore no doing. So action, all karma comes to an end when the mind is destroyed. That is what he's emphasizing here in this 15th um, verse. Um, so I think I've probably talked for about an hour now. I don't know if there's anything, whether there are any questions. But um, anyway, since it's the end of the, the main talk, Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya. Thank you, Mr. Are there, James. Are there uh, any questions? Or? Yeah, I have a question. Yes. Namaskar, Michael. Namaskar. Yeah, I just I wanted to uh, know that uh, these days the yoga and pranayams that uh, people do uh, is not really as a spiritual discipline, I think. It's more to do with the, you know, the health of the body. <laughs> yes. So yes, I yes. was just thinking that uh, uh, does doing yoga, pranayam uh, perpetuate uh, or reinforce the I am the body idea? Yes, it does. It does. That is, that is, yoga by itself cannot lead to annihilation of the mind. Bhagavan was very, very clear. Pranayama will not... Uh, uh, or no yoga practice can bring about the annihilation of mind. The only means to bring about manonasa is self-investigation. So yoga is... Um, there are people who, do, who practice yoga for spiritual purposes, um, but they still have that... They still Yoga is very much connected with the body, um, I mean, there are different types of yoga, of course. There's the Hatha yoga, which is more concerned with all the asanas and the, 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 all, the, all sorts of things that yogis can, can do. They can um, they, they, they even go to the extent of passing a cloth down and cleaning out everything. I mean, all sorts of weird and wonderful practices are there in the name of yoga. And in the name of yoga, people... Um, stand on one leg for many years. So, so all sorts of things are there. But all the Hatha Yoga practices, they're very body-centered. Even, the, even in Patanjali Yoga, it's the asanas and these things still are, are, are very an important part of the yoga practices. So it's still a very, very... And also they, they're the... Uh, Kundalini, they consider in the body there are different um, chakras, the Muladhara and the Anahata and the Sahasrara, all these different chakras are there. So it's all very body-oriented. So we cannot destroy the Dehatma Buddhi. 
Vadehabimana, the attachment to the body as I, by uh, yoga alone. If we if a yogi is really sincere, is really seeking liberation, when they get to the point that they're able to restrain the mind, they may be going into layer and thinking they've achieved something. But if they come to a proper guru like Bhagavan, he will say, don't go into Nivikalpa Samadhi. Nivikalpa Samadhi is of no spiritual value whatsoever. You can rem it may be very pleasant to remain in Nivikalpa Samadhi, like it's very pleasant to go to sleep, but it's not of any spiritual significance. Before subsiding in, uh, in Nivikalpa Samadhi, you need to turn your mind on the on the path to this path of investigation. What he says in, what he implies here in verse 14 is that the yogi, if a yogi wants to bring about not merely not to achieve merely manolaya, which is a temporary state, if he wants to achieve permanent dissolution of mind, the only way is to turn the attention within. So this is the this is the path taught by Bhagavan. So yoga. Those who have practiced, who, who are adept at practicing yoga, they're able to calm their mind. If they come to Bhagavan, they can use that, that, that calmness of mind to turn the attention within. But if their mind is much accustomed to those yoga practices, those type of vasanas will be very strong. So it's, they still have to overcome those vasanas to to practice those type of, uh, I, I mean, in, in, in uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutra, he talks about the uh, Ashtanga Yoga, the eight, eight limbs of yoga. I can't remember what they all are, but they're all, they're, they ultimately culminate in samadhi. Uh, but Bhagavan says even that samadhi is not sufficient. That samadhi is just a state of manolaya. The only samadhi we should be seeking is sahaja samadhi, which is manonasa. And we can achieve manonasa only by means of self-investigation. Michael, I have uh, a thank you. Um, did, did I just ask? adequately answer your question? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Right. Uh, but, uh, but we shouldn't, uh, can I just add one thing? We shouldn't think that all yogis are just body-oriented. I mean, some, many of them are very sincere. They're true spiritual aspirants. But if they want to reach for the ultimate, they need to eventually come to this path. That is, uh, just like karma yoga is a tributary leading to bhakti yoga, uh, uh, this, this raja yoga is a tributary leading to jnana yoga. Uh, Michael, you may please go ahead and uh, and respond to Udeji's uh, question, which he's going to ask you in the next uh, okay. minute or so. Uh, also, you have a question in the chat window from YouTube from uh, Mr. Sushil Motwani. Okay. Uh, if 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 we can address both of them in the next three odd minutes, it'll help us close the session by six thirty. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. Uh, okay. And and there is a third question uh, which I will put in the chat window that we can take up next month. Michael. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, Namaskar, uh, Michael. Uh, my name is Uday. Uh, I have a question which is uh, relating to the practice. Uh, it is said in, 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 the, in, in the practice that one attends to uh, the first person thought uh, that one has, let's say, when I wake up, which is I am the body. Uh, but however, in my direct experience, I don't experience this as a thought, 
but rather it's a, a non-verbal appearance of the world. I don't experience it as a thought. So am I missing something? Uh, yes, that is, we need to understand what Bhagavan means by thought. According okay. to Bhagavan, everything other than pure awareness is a thought. So the, all objects, all phenomena, the whole world is nothing but thoughts. All the, all the, um, all perceptions, all memories, all uh, likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, everything is just thought. And the first thought is the thought called I, that is ego. Ego is itself a thought. Why is it a thought? Because ego is what is called chit-jada-granti. But chit element is, is such it, the pure awareness I am. The jada element is the body. We, as ego, we are always aware of ourselves as I am this body. So this false awareness, I am this body, is what Bhagavan calls the thought called I, or the thought I am this body. So it's a thought, not it, thought doesn't mean, that is, we, nowadays we tend to associate thought with the mental chatter, the verbalized thought. But according to Bhagavan, all mental impressions, all mental phenomena are thoughts of one kind or another. So when, when, he, when he says talks about the thought, who am I? He, sorry, I mean, the, the thought, I am this body, he's not talking about that we should be verbal, but mentally, uh, we don't think to ourselves, I am this body, I am this body. No, the, the background of all our experience, whatever we may experience, the background of that experience is, I am experiencing it. Who is experiencing it? Me, this one. So we, we uh, our, our, so long as we rise as ego, we are, we are so uh, entangled with this body. That is why this practice of self-investigation is to separate ourselves from this body. How do we separate ourselves? The nature of ego is to always grasp something. As Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Uladunaptu, grasping form, it comes into existence. That means grasping the form of a body, the five sheaths, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. So grasping is the very nature of ego, and its nature is to grasp form. If instead of grasping form, if we try to grasp ourselves, Ego itself is a formless phantom, in that it has no form of its own. So when we try to hold on to I, ego thereby subsides and dissolves back into its source. So sometimes Bhagavan did describe it as holding on to the I thought. But simpler way, that is, that is for people who, who, whose minds were very outward going, who who said, Bhagavan, I don't know, I don't know who I am. So how can I help? Bhagavan said, You're aware of yourself as I am so and so. Hold on to that I, but is aware of itself as I am so and so. But actually attending to ego, that false awareness, I am so and so, or attending to I am is actually the same. Because when we attend to ego, we are what, what are we attending to? We're not attending to the person we take ourselves to be. We're attending to the fundamental awareness I am. That's why Bhagavan says in Maharshi's Gospel, in your investigation into the source of Ahambriti, the I thought, you take the essential chit aspect of ego. The chit aspect is that fundamental awareness I am. That is what we're to hold on to. So we're not, 
we can think of it as holding on to a thought, but it's a thought unlike all other thoughts. It's a thought I. But rather than thinking of it as holding on to a thought I, why not just hold on to I? I is what we all know. So don't worry about the word thought. If, it, if that isn't helping it, to, if that doesn't help to clarify it, uh, you ignore the word thought, just hold on to I. But there can't be more than two eyes. One, one little eye called ego and one big eye called self. No, there's only one eye. That one eye in its pure condition, as just I am, is our real nature. When mixed and conflated with adjuncts, it is ego. But it's the same eye. There's not two eyes. So since there's only one eye, hold on to that one eye. That's all Bhagavan asks us to do. Thank you very much. That's very useful. Right. Uh, Michael, there is this last question from Mr. Sushil Motwani in the chat window. If you want, I could read that out for you. Uh, yes, please. Uh, all right. Uh, so, sorry, I'm just trying to scroll up. Yes, his question is, and I quote, since the source of the mind and prana uh, is the same, why doesn't the body, sorry, my scrolling is not working. Why doesn't the body come to an end, prana nash, when mano nash happens, unquote? <laughs> the body does come to an end when the prana comes to an end. Uh, sorry, when the mind comes to an end, because the body and world seem to exist only in the view of mind. In the absence of mind, where is the body or world in sleep? They don't exist. It's only in the view of the... It's, when we wake up, we say, oh, my body was still there. But did we experience the body? According to Bhagavan, there is no body or mind or prana, or anything in sleep. Whenever the mind is absent, everything is absent. As he says in verse 26 of Uludunapdu, If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. So the... There can be no body or mind or world in the absence of ego. But then we ask, oh, but Bhagavan's ego was destroyed at the age of 16. So how come Bhagavan's body continued? Bhagavan had a very simple answer. He said, it's, the body and mind of Vijnani exist only in the view of Vijnani. That is, because we see ourselves as a body and mind, we see Bhagavan as a body and mind. But in his view, his experience of himself is, I am I, nothing other than I. I alone exist. Yatatamai uludu, apmasarupa mondre. What actually exists is only uh, apmasarupa. So it's only because we are still dreaming, we are dreaming but Bhagavan has a body. In, in our dream, Bhagavan appears to have a body. But the truth is, Bhagavan has that, that, that ego that was aware of itself as I am Venkataraman has woken up. That ego has been dissolved. And what is shining then, what we call Bhagavan, is not an ego. It is our own real nature. That fundamental awareness I am that is shining in the heart of each one of us, that is Bhagavan. 
Ariati Tarajivara Dahabari Jaguheil Aribai Rami Paramatman Arunachala Ramanan. When Bhagavan was asked who he was, he said, Arunachala Ramana is the Paramatma, but exists blissfully as awareness in the cave of the heart lotus of all different jivas, beginning with Hari. So he is not, because we mistake ourselves to be a body, he seems to us to be a body. But the truth is, he is that which is shiny in our heart as I. He is that which is ever bodiless, ever worldless. He is the pure, he is anad, as he says in verse 28 of Upadeshundia, when one knows what one's real nature is, then anadi, ananta, akanda, satchidananda. That is Bhagavan. Anadi means beginningless. Ananta means endless, limitless, infinite. Akanda, undivided, satchidananda. That is Bhagavan. So, though he appears in the, to be a body in our view, it's only in, our, in, in the view of our ignorant mind that he appears to be a body. He is appeared in the form of that body in order to teach us, but to know him as he actually is, we need to know ourselves. And to know ourselves, we need to turn within. If we turn within, everything will be swallowed. Sakalam and Virungum Kadiroli Yinamada Jala Jamalati Daranachala. He sings it, verse 27 of Akshramlai. O son of bright rays that swallows everything in the bright rays of your grace. Um, uh, uh, Blossom the lotus of my mind. He prays the same in, um, in the first verse of Arunacha Pancharatnam. Um, uh, um, uh, what is it? Karana Purna Sadabde, Kabalita Gana Vishwarupa Kirana Balya, swallowing this entire universe in your spreading rays. That is Arunacha, that is Bhagavan. So he is that which is ever shiny in our heart as I. And if we turn within, he will swallow us and everything along with us. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Michael, we have one.